Welcome to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community. Good morning, Memphis. Welcome to your Tuesday morning, 8 a.m. episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. My name is Anna Mullins-Ellis. I'm the CEO and president of New Memphis. We are a local nonprofit that is working to make Memphis magnetic for great talent like you. I'm joined here in the studio with my co-host and teammate, Christy Mullen. Good morning, Christy. Hello, I'm Christy, and I'm the Creative Communications Manager at New Memphis. And twice a month, we will be bringing you episodes we are referring to as Continuing TED, which is a continuing conversation where we are inviting past TED speakers to revisit their talks and do more of a deep dive into their chosen topics. Um, Anna, for the people that are listening that may not be so familiar with TED, do you want to give a little background? I would love to. So TED, I'm sure y'all know TED Talks are a big thing. So they are uh, delivered all over the world. There is a global TED organization that hosts an annual conference where you bring great innovators, thinkers, uh, academics, artists, uh, activists together to talk about ideas worth sharing. And about five years ago here in Memphis, we said, you know what? We need to have TED Talks in Memphis. We have uh, leading thinkers here in Memphis. I I would argue that we have some of the best. I would also say that. You know, (laughs) again, amazing ideas are coming out of this city. So we decided that we were going to start hosting regular, annual, local Memphis TEDx Talks. So what we do every year is we invite a group of speakers who represent just a diversity of ideas, again, from those who are pushing forward in our education space to those who are uh, innovating in our nonprofits, leading in our businesses, entrepreneurs, artists, just like all kinds of amazing people who have different projects who come together and take to our TED stage to prepare a talk that basically, again, just is provocative, asks you to consider a new idea, asks you to chew on something that you might not have, um, you know, had in your mind's eye before. So, Every week, as we said, uh, we're going to bring you a past TED speaker who's taken our TED stage. Today, we're excited to say that Austin Crowder took our TED stage back in February of 2020, which feels like 100,000 years ago. We were in we were indoors together in a theater. <laughs> we weren't wearing masks. What a novel concept now. I'm like, it I was, just want to be indoors with anyone at this point. Instead I was of home just alone. talking to somebody. They're like, when is the next TED TED? A conference and I was like well next year they're like yeah. what about this year I was like we had one this yeah. year it just feels like a thousand years ago um but Austin Crowder I think you know he gave a TED talk that I that really resonated with me it felt very topical um so Christy tell us a little bit more about Austin before he comes and joins us in the studio Austin Crowder is here with us, and he is an award-winning spoken word poet and a regular contributor to several publications in Memphis, as well as the current government and economics teacher at the Soulsville Charter School in South Memphis. Throughout eight years as an educator, he has developed a Know Your Rights unit for implementation in civics classes throughout the city and country, and he is here today to dive into that while, you know, also revisiting his TED Talk that he gave earlier this year in February of 2020, Can Government Class Revolutionize Police Encounters? Welcome, Austin. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Good. We're so happy to have you here with us today to talk about your TED Talk. And so let's just get back to basics before we get into that. Um, Give the audience kind of a little bit about who you are. How did you get here in Memphis? Sure. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. 
Um, so again, Austin Crowder, and I currently teach government economics at a school called Soulsville or the Soulsville Charter School in South Memphis. This is my ninth year teaching um, in the community. I came to Memphis through a program called Teach for America, um, and that's a two-year teaching commitment. Uh, and then have just I kind of launched my teaching career and um, have been at it ever since. Um, it's definitely a really important time to be a government and economics uh, teacher. So, to say um, the very least, <laughs> yeah. So that keeps me busy. But um, in addition to that, I uh, I've just been able to have my hands in some policy work, and um, then of course with uh, Know Your Rights Edu and 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 trying to um, kind of make some of the curriculum that we've been doing in my classroom more available. Um, but yeah, I arrived in. Memphis uh, from the LA area and um, really have have made it home. Met my wife here and we now have a daughter um, just of this, as of this year. And um, yeah, we really, really enjoy being here and uh, love how, how just kind of communal of a city it is. And yeah. So your TED Talk, it's been about a year at the end of, you know, towards the end of 2019, you submitted an application. Um, the, the topic felt timely then mm -hmm. um, to talk about police interactions and how to talk with young people about their rights, um, what these interactions can mean. And of course, none of us could have thought at that point where the year would have gone, but it, it, the the talk feels so much, it just feels like the most um, urgent and pressing of the TED Talks that we hosted this year um, way back in February. So tell me a little bit about how, you know, it, You've been doing this curriculum for what, two years? Five years. Five years. Yeah, five years. Five years. Well, so what was the impetus? How, how did this become a focus of your government class? Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, this Know Your Rights EDU curriculum has stayed timely. Um, I mean, has has constantly been necessary um, because, like, fundamental to uh, our social structure is the idea that uh, – you know, policing is not something that there is accountability, not something that there is uh, transparency around. Um, and it is certainly something that is, uh, you know, disproportionately um, and unjustly enforced and carried out. Um, and uh, so my school um, is the, the student body at my school um, self-reports pretty much 100 um, percent black student body. And um, and so while maybe in kind of the uh, general consciousness of the nation, this is kind of an increasingly pressing uh, concern or issue, certainly with among my students, um, there's always been an acute awareness of uh, the, the need to understand how to engage um, safely with police and uh, to how to, you know, what mechanisms exist for claiming um, power uh, and, and, and preserving safety um, when interacting with police. Um, so this, you know, I graduated the year Trayvon Martin was killed um, by Neighborhood Watch and, um, and that left an indelible mark on me, just the, uh, uh, I just remember listening to to the audio and just just how blatantly wrong it all it all was um, that that 
Zimmerman, you know, was acquitted and, and Trayvon Martin was, was dead. And um, just th that was kind of for me as a white man, uh, a moment of realization. And so uh, early on um, in my teaching, th these were the conversations we were having. And then um, about five years ago, there was, uh, again, a, a series of publicized, highly publicized uh, police killings. And um, and it was just a pressing question over that summer of like, what, what, how can I respond to this as an educator? And uh, the most meaningful kind of contribution I felt like I could make was uh, facilitating conversations of, around how to interact with police um, as safely and effectively as possible, um, how to, the mechanisms that exist for power and for support um, in those complicated dynamics where the power dynamics are so um, weighted towards police um, and just to have kind of those open discussions. And then over five years of kind of digging into the data around the unit and and, and having the conversations with students, um, it became uh, the unit that, that it is today available online. Um, and uh, yeah, so another kind of form of activism uh, that's concomitant with with the the unit is I do kind of spoken word poetry and um, various other forms of political activism because obviously I, I don't see this as kind of a an isolated part of of who I am or what I teach but um so you know there's uh, there's other kind of bodies of work that 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 have also kind of sprung from that uh, desire to see more justice in, in that regard yeah I love you know when we think about being a government teacher and just talking about um, that part of an education, really bringing it into uh, not just current times, but like relevance to their lives. And one of the things that I, I love when we get to your TED Talk, we'll, we'll dig into it more, but how you've brought police into the conversation. And I mm -hmm. think that's a really unique um, and functional part of the curriculum that it isn't just, mm -hmm. you know, here's how to interact with police. It's like, let, let's, let's practice and here's an introduction to your community officers. And I think that's... Um, you know, such a such a functional way for schools to be this connection, you know, as a sort of central place where communities come together and where children learn, um, you know, understanding that bringing them into that conversation is is an essential piece of it. Sure. Yeah, it's it's hasn't always functioned this way, but you hope public school can be somewhat of a neutral zone mm. um, for for police and civilian interaction. Um, but it's not really being used as that. Unfortunately, you hear kind of more stories of uh, people feeling victimized, um, even within the school space, um, by kind of the structures of, of, of punishment and consequences, um, legal or otherwise. So, um, yeah, I think that's it's it's a powerful space, and and the the officers that do come in are always intimately connected to the community, the school community, um, and. And, and, and it's really just a, a process of, I think, kind of both sides of the conversation, you know, seeing the humanity and the other side um, and, and, and kind of what that could, can do for regulating um, uh, or, or the capacity to like kind of empathize and, and be strategic and regulate, um, you know, within a situation. So, Well, before we get into your TED Talk, I would love to just hear, you know, obviously, I know you went through Teach for America what drew you to teaching? Why are you still, well, you know, I always love to ask the question, like, sure. why do you teach? Yeah. So I, so I w desired to be a, a, a part of community development and, and, and just kind of um, seeing uh, communities that have been kind of under-resourced and 
um, disenfranchised in a variety of ways. I, I hoped to be kind of an active part of a community um, and, and, uh, and just see some, some more um, kind of equitable distribution of goods and services provided in different communities. So my thinking was how, you know, how do I integrate into a community, you know, especially as an outsider coming um, from the, the West Coast? And I thought, oh, teaching would be a great way to kind of really get to know a community, understand um, the dimensions of it, and then be a, a meaningful participant in a community. Um, so that, that was like the angle I, I came at teaching. Once I started teaching, I realized it's a pretty all-encompassing task. And that, like, <laughs> yeah. there's not, it's not just a means to an end. It's not just a means to like standing in a community, but in and of itself is utterly a... Uh, uh, just utterly involved. Um, and so I haven't, it's, it's, that actually kind of then became obviously the, the focal point of my efforts. Um, so. Excellent. So when did you, I, obviously again, Teach for America is a two-year commitment. Did you know immediately, like, no, this is like my long-term career path? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, <laughs> Teach for America uh, was more of a fiscal mechanism. And, and what I mean by that is just, uh, you know, I, I was uh, I was on Pell Grants in undergrad um, and I was thinking I, I, I wanted to be a teacher. I, I thought I wanted to be a career teacher um, in college. And it was just looking at what's the way I can do this the most affordably. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was paying for an extra year of a teaching program or, or being paid um, to kind of do an intensive training program. And so, you know, that was the number one angle. I was looking at Teach for America as as the the choice program for me coming, you know, being on Pell Grants in undergrad and, and just needing to afford uh not wanting to take on more student debt and things like that. That's very smart. That's a very smart. <laughs> we're, we're avidly against student debt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who is in a lot yeah. of it, I am right, very against right. it. Yeah. All right. Well. We can have a whole nother podcast. I, just, uh, I know. We're we we already another hour to talk yeah. about the conditions of student debt. But uh, did So you kind of spoke about it a little bit about like what was the precipice of like making you want to give this talk. Um, now that you've implemented it, do you see that it's having a change and an impact in your students? Implemented the The, the curriculum. The curriculum. Yes. Yeah. Like, so what is the definitely, definitely. Um so I want to work on like getting more like longitudinal data over a series of years. Um, there's definitely a clear impact kind of right as as the students are coming off of the learning unit in the sense of uh, their understanding of the nuances around their mm -hmm. rights, how to how to use them, um, their their sense of feeling um, empowered and equipped, empowered and equipped, and, and less fearful, um, and their their self-reported kind of preparedness for these instances. And especially right now, when you think about wanting people to be able to mobilize in terms of protesting, and you look at um, kind of the risk people are 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 bravely putting themselves in. At um, or in to to protest and to have their voice heard, and so to me, I think um, no understanding your rights, understanding how to advocate for allies, whether that's uh, legal representation and and whatnot. Um, so I, again, there's a lot of self-reporting um, students that it's having the impact. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that's kind of the next phase is I would love to have uh, kind of see how that how long that lasts for and. Um, whether the students I taught five years ago are still, you know, feeling that there's an, an, a tangible effect from that unit. Um, and so that's something that I, I'm, I'm kind of hoping to, um, to, to get some data on down the road. 
Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, I guess we need to give the audience I some. I was going to say, we, we've teased it yeah, quite like, enough. Yeah, give like... them all the full context, and we'll just and go ahead and roll right into your TED Talk. So we have Austin Crowder's 2020 TED Talk, which seems like it was 100 years ago, as we always <laughs> say, back in February, um, and is called Can Government Class Revolutionize Police Encounters? Imagine a situation from your life where there were expectations on you. Certain ways you needed to act. Things you needed to say or not say. Stuff you needed to know. But you had no idea what the rules were. Relationships are full of these. Like, who knew there was a correct way to fold the towels? The little tri-fold method so they look nice in the cabinet, don't topple over. Yeah, not me, <laughs> but shout out to my loving wife. I concede, thanks for finally teaching me the right way. Now let's shift gears a bit. Imagine you're a teenager. You're driving home tonight. You get distracted for a moment trying to figure out what the heck was that guy talking about with the towels, and then bam, blue lights in your rear view. Your heart starts pounding. You pull over nervously. Someone taps on your window, and you're scared because you don't know what to expect or what to do. Instantly, the rules you don't know, explicit and implicit, the jargon you don't understand, the options you don't know you have, your life might depend on them. Because the person who's expecting you to follow these rules has a badge, has authority, has a gun. <gasps> you see it and your breath tightens. Because you immediately remember a video you saw of police shooting and killing someone that looks about like you. Why? Why was it again? That's right, because according to them, that person broke the rules. The ones you really wish you knew right about now. This is America to borrow from Donald Glover. Yeah, I'm gonna go into this. We are policed by complex laws and methods, yet our government and civics classes rarely teach how to navigate them. There is so much at stake in these police encounters, especially for groups who have been disproportionately targeted. So what if every school made space for students to consider, prepare to practice interacting with police as safely and effectively as possible. I've been a teacher for almost a decade in South Memphis, and over the past five years, I've collaborated with community stakeholders to create and incorporate a Know Your Rights unit into my government classes. The unit formed in the wake of highly publicized police killings and the increased trepidation of my students. And the preliminary results are encouraging. They indicate a real possibility that if incorporated into classes throughout the country, a know-your-rights education could increase civilian self-efficacy, enhance police accountability, lessen incarcerations such as those from self-incrimination, and possibly mitigate occurrences of violence during police encounters. Now, let me be clear from the outset. As long as personal and systemic racism exist, unjust laws and enforcement will exist. 
The effects of racism must be addressed from every single angle. The police are professionals, okay? Given institutionalized power, they must bear responsibility for bias and undo police violence. This unit cannot replace that, but it can complement it by making important information more accessible to civilians. The unit begins by evaluating our positionality, okay? I'm white, while almost all of my students are black. This shapes their experiences, especially with this, in ways that are distinct from mine. At the same time, my family has been intimately impacted by incarceration and complex police encounters due to the presence of mental illness. As students share their unique impressions of police, it becomes clear that A, this content matters. It impacts everyone in class. B, there are many students who have only had negative interactions with police. And C, there are many misconceptions around what police and civilians can legally do. I'll be sharing my students' quotes throughout to center their voices. This student wrote, I thought I had essentially no rights. Wow. Let's continue on. We then establish our objectives for the unit, especially to stay safe and minimize risk when interacting with law enforcement. I introduce a couple key, key qualifiers. First, legality is not morality. So while I will teach the specific laws as they are, I am not implying that they are as they should be. But rather, knowledge can be power. So knowing the laws as they are can be the first step to changing them. Next, that bias and racism are real. I can't attest that every police officer is going to respect the rights of all civilians. So it is important to be as informed and prepared as possible for best and worst case scenarios. We then begin our deep dive into the local laws and rights for interacting with police on foot, in the car, and at home. We detail matters like probable cause, passive consent, and the local nuances around filming the police. We practice key phrases such as, am I being detained? I do not consent to a search, and am I free to go? Students discuss and decide for themselves best practices for interacting with law enforcement, such as avoiding running and sudden movements, always asking permission before reaching, and using mindfulness exercises to stay as composed as possible, even if faking it. My student reflected, writing, I can control a situation by doing something as simple as being silent. We then learn the unique rights and protections that the law affords to police, such as being able to lie, conduct external pat-downs, or require exiting the vehicle of just about anyone at just about any time. Students get the chance to explore these details. With a legal expert, we have either a lawyer or a law professor visit class for a Q&A. I then introduce the local hotlines for reporting police misconduct what information they require, how to write an official complaint, 
I talk about the local organizations that exist to assist in situations of police misconduct. And the students often express that knowing there could be some recourse available afterwards might help them stay composed during a difficult encounter. We then move on to case studies and Socratic seminars. I show students videos of civilians strategically using their rights. The student wrote, it showed me how to de-escalate a situation. We then focus specifically on the Sandra Bland arrest dash camp footage. I should note here that because of the graphic content, students have the option of an alternative assignment. But in the seminar, students often question the validity of the stop to begin with, and they point out the police officer should not have focused on merely compliance, but rather cooperating with Bland. They break down details like how the onlookers had the right to record despite the officer's directive to leave. They even acknowledge that the police officer had a professional responsibility to stay composed and de-escalate the situation. But at the same time, they discuss, could Sandra Bland have more strategically or effectively used her rights? They point out her misunderstanding of thinking she had the right to stay in the vehicle. question often comes up in these seminars. What if the officer and Bland had taken this unit? Could it have changed things? Could society be different? If every future police officer started learning civilian rights in high school? If every civilian was trained on how to use their rights and the police generally expected them to? My student wrote, I can have all the rights in the world, but if I don't know to use them, they are useless. Every year, we partner with a police officer, usually that's connected to our school community, often a parent of a student. And each year, that officer has taken an entire day off to answer students' questions about their training and experiences. The officer often is amazed at my students' knowledge about their rights while the students gain a whole new understanding of the real fear and difficulty of the situations that the police encounter. They need to see this perspective. The student wrote, it taught me that there is a line between being subservient and being respectful. Finally, we move on to apply all of our learning to a Know Your Rights interactive theater. Students practice key rights, key words, de-escalation strategies by role-playing a variety of possible police encounters. One student wrote, it, the most important thing I learned was to remain calm and be mentally prepared. The 278 students I've surveyed overwhelmingly report feeling more empowered as a civilian. They report feeling more prepared for police interactions and better equipped to handle them more positively. They also report being more likely to advocate against police brutality and teach others about their rights, while also expressing less fear of police interactions. Now, this, these results are astounding to imagine on a nationwide scale, but I wonder, 
After being exposed to multiple examples of police misconduct, even role-playing such, would my students' opinions of police decline? But that was not at all the case. 96% of students reported a steady or improved opinion of police. Now, wanting to understand what was going on here, I dug deeper into the data. And almost every student that reported an improved opinion of police was also more likely to advocate against police brutality and teach others about their rights. So how could this be? The students told me that knowing the system legally protected some of the problematic things police do, shifted some of their focus away from a given officer and on to changing the system as a whole. My students must survive. They must be able to stay safe and navigate the system so that they can impact the system. By no means have I developed the perfect or complete approach. So how many of you are educators, or at least no one? Could you incorporate or improve upon this Know Your Rights unit? It's available for anyone to access at yourrightsedu.org. My student wrote, it could help my family. It could save one of our lives. So let's return to that moment. You're a teenager. You're driving home tonight. The blue lights come on in the rear view. But this time, a fraction of that fear is replaced with a plan. A piece of that frustration is channeled into determination to stay composed and be strategic. Now, we know this has not guaranteed a safe outcome, but could it increase the chances? Thank you. In the new Memphis, we never forget to give back. Memphis is one of only two cities nationally whose citizens give more than 5% of their income to charity, and we give our time too. Memphis logs 29 million volunteer hours each year. At New Memphis, we know there's so much more to celebrate about our city. Visit newmemphis.org to learn how you can get involved. New Memphis is transforming our city through the power of connection. Be sure to stay connected with us by following at the New Memphis on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. All right, we are back in studio. You guys just heard Austin's TED Talk. Um, just let's kick it off. Um, you emphasize that knowing the laws as they are is the first step in changing them. And I feel like that right, that right there is kind of the leading force force in the creation of your curriculum, curriculum, which is a tough word for me to say. Mm -hmm. um, you want the students to know what is out there, what they need to know in order to go forth and change the dynamics that are happening. Can you speak a little more to that thought process? Absolutely. It is super important to me um, that it's clear from the beginning that for me to teach the laws as they are is not a, um, uh, you know, an assessment that the laws as they are are, are sufficient or yes. are equitable or um, just. And so 
Um, but at the same time, I think to really be strategic about changing the laws and knowing what parts of the laws you as a civilian um, may may want to advocate for changes to, it's it's important to kind of know and have that foundation of where things are. So yes. um, that's that first step of the unit is just like, let's really dig into how things are, um, not because this is what Mr. Crowder thinks, you know, it should be, but because, right. you know, if, if we're going to, if you're going to make your own personal decisions about, you know, what you want to be a part of doing in society, um, and if part of that might include advocating for change to these laws or progress to them, um, then then it's going to be important to know where you're starting or where we're starting from. Yes. No, I think that's very powerful because I feel even a lot of adults don't know you, right? So like aren't fully educated on what the laws that are in place are, no matter how we feel about them, what is it that exists? And so I think that part to me when I heard your TED Talk for the first time in February really resonated and was very powerful because I feel like so many times we just expect people to grow up and know, right? And you don't. You have to learn and someone has to teach you or you have to learn on your own. And I think that is, again, I just use the word powerful because that's what it is. Um, So I kind of have a fun question. When you first had this idea to implement this into your classroom and you brought it to your students, what what was their reaction? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they're, you know, students often um, just don't maybe look critically at where. One thing I, I challenge my students to do is like think critically about where their curriculum is coming from and right. like ask questions of their teachers and not assume. Uh, I think it's it's easy for a student, even myself as a high school mm-hmm. student, to just assume that the curriculum that teacher's teaching me is like just kind of from this like abstract yeah. place. <laughs> That it's like decree that this all this teachers is are it. teaching this. This is, this. All this is, it is right when it's obviously like you know a, a very personal kind of process in some yeah. ways. Um, and so uh, I, I don't know that they question it initially and maybe just assume it's kind of like a standard um, practice. But uh, certainly it's it's some a part of the the lessons. Sorry, part of the year curriculum that's, yeah. that sticks out as being a favorite to the students because I think it feels so applicable and it feels like questions. Maybe they've been asking or they, things that are directly related to stuff that's happening in the news cycle or happening in their own lives or their own family's lives. Um, so they definitely react positively to being able to learn it. Plus, it's it's fun because it involves um, – maybe fun's not the right word, but it involves role-playing and there's case studies and there's discussions and debates. And so it's, it's really engaging for the students as well. Awesome. I like – One of the key pieces that also stuck out to me is one of your students' quotes that you quoted was that they said they essentially thought that they had no rights. Sure. Well, one of the biggest disservices that we do is, and and there's got to be intentionality here, right? I'm going to assume that, um, you know, we have to we have to assume that this is a way of kind of bolstering the power dynamics between the the state and 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 its civilians. but there's there's no formal education on this, right? So right. so kind of the, the core interaction we have with the law is through law enforcement, is through policing, and um, it really makes no sense in a democracy that we wouldn't be taught in a formal way, in a, in a standardized way, um, the mechanisms and, and legal nuances around that. Um, I, I have to assume that that's uh, an intentional decision, right? Because it it, it makes the power kind of be retained um, by the, mm-hmm. the, the the police. Um, and sure, there's it's complicated because there it's different in different localities and states. But I, I my a core belief of of this unit and a core belief um, of knowyourrightsedu.com and and this initiative 
is the idea that this should be standard, that states should make it a standard part of their curriculum, um, that around the country, every person is being taught kind of the basic laws of engagement um, with law enforcement, the basic rights that they have, um, what rights civilians and police have, uh, what protections and and, and um, mechanisms they each have. Um, so that way it's clear, right? At least we, we can have kind of clarity and, and transparency um, yeah. Yeah. And I love it's making that clarity and transparency, but also there's another thing, kicking it back to the Ted talk, you, so many students and even people in general don't realize the recourses that can happen after, mm -hmm. like what you can do after the right. fact. And I know you stayed in your Ted talk, if you want to talk a little bit more about like they, it changed their perspectives very right. much knowing that there was something that could be done after. Right, right. And and so to be very clear, again, I'm, I'm definitely not saying that, you know, kind of justice is always served no, or that, not at all. you know, that afterwards the, the, the power dynamics are, you know, even or equitable and, and or that or that this is somehow solving, you know, singularly, this is the solution for uh, police brutality. This is that's absolutely um, not at all what I would would want to say. I do think this is could be an important piece of, of, of the puzzle. Um but one thing we talk about with, with the students is just that to look at power dynamics, right? Mm -hmm. Power dynamics are kind of this, this very important part of, of decision making and they of- They exist within everything. Right. They exist within everything and they're so important. And, and, and taking those into account can completely shift your own actions or your own thoughts about a situation. So we simply evaluate what are the power dynamics in a moment of interaction with police, right? So thinking about how police officers have- uh, the capacity of lethal force, right, with weapons and backup and, you know, the law, uh, you know, kind of tilted in their favor in terms of lethal force. Um, whereas after a situation, um, the power dynamics still are not, you know, even or fully right. equitably distributed, but there there could be um, a, a whole group of people or um, grassroots, uh, uh, just basically that, that, that people could be mobilized in your defense that, um, you know, lawyers could, could help, uh, help you kind of, you know, make a case, uh, against police misconduct. It, it's not perfect and it's not guaranteed, but just that in terms of like where in a, a dynamic with law enforcement, you have more power, it's, it's, it's more likely to be afterwards, right? When, when you can use some of the organizations that exist to assist you, when you can get legal representation, when you can mobilize, you know, at a grassroots level, um, with, with so many people behind you, um, versus in the moment of an encounter. And, and the big shift there is then understanding that, like, I think if, if someone feels like they're under attack, it can, so, it can be so tempting to feel like, you know, I want to fight against this. This is not right. Or, or, or I don't agree with this. And, and, and there's a instinct in all of us, I think, to, to be defensive. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think the, the thing I'm trying to get at is, um, is that, you know, being strategic about where the power dynamics are most in your favor. And so often that's not in the moment of right. a police encounter or a, um, uh, you know, an interaction that becomes an altercation. Um, and so often that, that is more likely to be afterwards in terms of just staying safe. and yeah, yeah, no. And I think your talk was one of those that, which this is the great thing about TED, right? It's people bringing these ideas to the stage. And yours was very much one of a few that like I walked away with like, I've never considered 
something like this being something that would be implemented at such a young Mm -hmm. age. And it really made me kind of take a step back and be like, you're really focusing on the preparedness of it. Mm -hmm. It's acknowledging that we have a broken system. It is, but you're trying to give the kids the tools they need to do the best they can moving forward. Yeah. And I think where the real power in this is, is when it's scaled, I think. And that's the, the big, uh, the, the struggle I think I'm facing and the organization's mm-hmm. facing is how to scale this, how, you know, if the, the, the goal ultimately would be to get funding, to uh, look at policy advocacy, uh, to see, you know, statewide policy shifts in terms of making this a part, uh, an expected part of the curriculum um, throughout the, you know, different states. Um, so in the, in, in the state house, um, there are, uh, I would love to, you know, kind of have the funds to, to, conduct trainings for teachers and marketing initiatives and just like ways to really get the word because I think at scale that the impact of this is so huge when all of a sudden police have to really shift their consciousness to, to expect the civilians are gonna recognize that they you know uh, recognize what passive consent is and, and and civilians are way less likely to give it or recognize that police are you know usually legally protected and being able to lie to a, a, a person um, and and understanding that and and then you know recognizing how to assert the right to remain silent how to assert you know um, uh, to not be searched or um, you know, to insist on having a lawyer present. See, these once s- police are ha- are really expecting that that's almost standard that civilians know this and they're aware of it. Um, I think that could really shift the rules of engagement. And that doesn't mean there's not going to be circumstances where that's abused and circumstances where that's not enough. Um, you know, to combat the, the the racism or or other causes of violence. Um, but I do think if we could scale this, it, it could really shift kind of the dynamics of policing, much much less to say that if, if this is taught in every high school, then future police officers are also learning this. And they're also learning de-escalation tactics, which they should learn in their precincts. Right. But if they're not, at least they learn de-escalation in their high school classroom. And at least they learn about civilian rights and the limits of police rights um, or not, you know, in their classroom in high school, which I think is an important kind of start. Yeah. And speaking of trying to scale that work, at the end of your talk, you actually invite the community and people to kind of go to the website, look at the curriculum. Curriculum, again, cannot say that word you're good, very well. You're good, yeah. <laughs> um, but you invite people. And I think that is amazing that you're not capitalizing on this no, at all. You yeah. are making it accessible to the masses and you are telling people, like, you're doing your best. You know, it may not be perfect. What can we do better? How can we perfect it? What can we do to get it out there? Um, Talk a little bit about why that accessibility is so crucial for something like this. Right. Ultimately, I would love for this uh, website and kind of the resources I do have out there to just be a vehicle uh, for like grassroots uh, efforts. And so, um, you know, in many ways, I have limitations in, in my perspectives and uh, contributions to this, you know, as a white man. Uh, and... And so, um, but I also by no means want to put the expectation on people who are more likely to be victimized by this um, for them to do the work, right? And so um, I'm trying to do as much of the work as I can on nights and weekends to 
kind of facilitate a space, I ultimately would love to kind of create a network of legal experts and advocates and 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 thoughtful, reflective police officers and teachers who can kind of all communicate and be resourced to one another. Um, I would love to make the website a place where, you know, it's not just, I'm not interested in my resources, you know, nothing's being sold on the website, you right. know, everything I've paid for just out of pocket. I, I finally got a donation um, page on there just to help cover some of the costs, hopefully around becoming a nonprofit and um, hopefully kind of being able to get the word out more um, and get in front of more students. But yeah, this is not something I am personally wanting to capitalize on as much as I'm, I'm wanting to do the work to kind of help facilitate um, it happening uh, and, and people's resources that are working for students and for students to be empowered and equipped um, and prepared as best as possible to, to, to face um, encounters with law enforcement that kind of, you know, any teachers out there that are are doing that work or that have contributions to make to that, that they would have a space, um, a centralized space to like make those contributions and to connect with other teachers and other um, legal experts or, or civil rights organizations that would be happy to volunteer their time to come to their classroom. So I want to build a hub, you know, where, again, people can connect um, and be resourced to one another and where people can share their resources freely. I, it was more about me just putting my curriculum and teacher guides and all there freely available um, just as a starting place, right? Yeah. That way you have something to work with. And then I also made a copy that's adjustable and a copy that's not. So that way you could choose. I want to take these resources and completely modify them, okay. but I can just do the work of editing and changing them to my own experience and community. Um, You're giving people the base to work exactly. with. Exactly. So it's not like the resources are there and you have to use them exactly. It's, it's one of those things where I make them where you can fully edit them and adjust yeah. them to your own community and your own um, students. And people can find that it's knowyourrightsedu.org. Yep, knowyourrightsedu.com, actually. Dot sorry, com. it's, it's sorry. Um, yeah, no, no, knowyourrightsedu.com. It's confusing. It's not knowyourrights.edu. That's yeah. not what it is. It's knowyourrightsedu.com. And then there's also um, the, the yourrights.org uh, will also link you to the same uh, website. But I've shifted, so it's knowyourrightsedu.com is where they can find that. Perfect. Um, so just kind of on as we wrap up here, since the TED Talk, it's like, where are you now? Yeah, oh, no, sure. but like since the TED Talk kind of you we brought this concept to a stage and it's been shared out on YouTube. What has the response been? Kind of what has that meant for you? Sure. Um so I'm still full-time teaching, and especially with the switch to virtual teaching, that's been pretty all-encompassing. Yeah. So one thing that's been disappointing is not having kind of the resources of time uh, to put in this. And so really, I'm I'm, I'm uh, kind of welcome and appreciate kind of any people who, who want to be a part of getting this unit out there, who want to be a part of helping grow that network. Um, there's a place on knowyourrightsedu.com uh, for people who, who can kind of volunteer um, to help me get the word out about this. Uh, I'm, I'm looking to hopefully get someone who is much more of a, a master of social media than I am to help kind of man those uh, or, or be on point for yeah. those uh, social media pages. Um, what's awesome is I have had some people really volunteer their time. So we completely redid the website. Um, I was looking into uh, trying to kind of pay personally for someone to do that. And someone volunteered and just did an awesome job um, on the website, in my opinion. Um, I had someone help me get connected uh, to some some principals to email. So I've had about 40 teachers download the curriculum. Okay. Um, and, you know, while we are in virtual learning, 
the, the, the curriculum is definitely best suited for in-person mm -hmm. instruction because you have role plays and and um, just a lot of different dynamics, special guests, but it's definitely can be used for virtual instruction. You can do Zoom interviews and things like that. Ultimately, I would love to make a digital resource, not only for virtual learning, but actually just that way any high school kid, even if it's not being taught at their high school, could like they sit down, access. have a really interactive website where they could learn their, their rights. There could be role plays on the website, interviews with police officers on the website, interviews with legal experts on the website. So those are some of the projects that I'd uh, love to to get going. But I mean, not not a ton has shifted. Um, got the website finished, got all the teacher's guides up there. Um, have about 40 teachers this, this school year who have downloaded uh, the materials and hopefully we'll have many more um, down the road. Awesome. Well, if people wanted to get involved and volunteer, like we said, knowyourrightsedu.com is yep. a good place to go. Um, or if can they contact you on the sure. website? Or? Yeah, yeah. On the website, there's a way to contact me. Um, super easy. You're not going to get spammed or anything. Um, so <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm so happy you were here with us. I think you ended your talk with the powerful message that, you know, teaching this curriculum doesn't guarantee itself a safe outcome, but it kind of, you know, increases the likelihood of one. Sure. And I think that is a very nice thing to wrap up your talk and the encompassing message of it. And I just kind of want to see if, you know, I feel like that's it. Like that is the message, right? right? And we, we, we need everyone to be a part of this puzzle because, you know, there's a whole level of systemic change that needs to happen. Yes. And so it's, it's, it's whatever piece of the puzzle you can contribute, um, you know, it's, it, the whole puzzle has to, yeah. has to get We're all made, the pieces, but, if, but. Exactly. So it's just one small piece of the puzzle. It's definitely not a catch all by any means, but if it can move the needle, if, if it's, a few students who are more likely to be able to advocate for their rights, you know, be have a lawyer present, you know, avoid some of the pitfalls or, or traps that are likely um, or often used. Uh, if if there's a handful of students, you know, and in, in, in a growing number each year, um, that this this curriculum can help. Hopefully, then it's worth it, and it's a piece of the puzzle. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us again, Austin. Again, his TED Talk, you just heard it. You can also find it on YouTube. Just search Austin Crowder TED Talk and there it'll come and pop <laughs> up. Um, again, his website was knowyourrightsedu.com. And thank you so much again. This was wonderful. And I'm so happy we get to spread the news of what you're doing in Memphis. That would be great. So that way I can stop just refreshing to get the, <laughs> so to get the numbers the up. Yeah, that, that'd be really helpful. No, I'm just kidding. Um, thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you guys for joining us today. Over at New Memphis, we are busy as ever bringing you guys quality events. And upcoming on November 18th, we have our final Celebrate What's Right conversation of the year. The theme this year is Culture City USA, and we are taking a deep dive into all things culture and how 
You know, our city is so much more than its grit and grind that defines us. It's about how the city makes you feel in your soul. It is not just limited to the arts, but from the food to the fashion to sports to music, they all play a unique role and an important part in creating a culturally rich city for us. Um, Memphis is leading the charge in becoming a cultural destination, and we are just using the CWR, which is short for Celebrate What's Right, to explore how the impact of culture is attracting and retaining talent in our city. We have a rock star panel for you guys. It'll be Rachel Knox, who you've heard on a previous episode, um, or if you're listening now, this episode. She will be our moderator, who is, she is a culture advocate and grant maker for the Hyde Foundation. There's Jason Wexler, who is a change maker and sports fanatic for the Memphis Grizzlies. Isaac Daniel, musical mentor and visionary for Stax Music Academy. L. Perry, who is the cultural content curator with the Daily Memphian. And Whitney Hardy, who is an arts advocate, activist, and innovator with Third Space and Epicenter. Um, we really, really hope to see you there. It's on November 18th. It's going to be an amazing conversation, fully virtual. You can find out more at newmemphis.org events. And please, please come out and celebrate this last one of the year. Um, we also, right now, New Memphis has Embark. We are recruiting for our Embark program. If you are a young professional looking to build your skills and your toolkit and meet just your peers and kind of find your happy back in your workplace and find a nice network of friends, please, please sign up for Embark. It is a four-month engagement that empowers high-performing 20-somethings. Um, we typically mean that like if you're two to seven years into your career um, to grow and build your relationships and just grow as leaders and do great things for Memphis. You can apply now by, again, going to our website at newmemphis.org and just go under the Embark tab to apply. And we really need you. We need our young talent. We need to develop you guys. And we really would love to welcome you into the New Memphis family. So apply for that today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. I'm so happy that you guys are tuning in to us. Again, you can listen to us every Tuesday at 8 a.m. on WYXR. And we are so happy you joined in today to listen to this. If you would like to know more or stay up to date on the things we talk about in our episodes, please just follow us on social media at The New Memphis. Or as always, go to our website at newmemphis.org. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you in partnership with WYXR. Produced by New Memphis and hosted by Anna Mullins Ellis and Christy Mullen. For more information, please visit newmemphis.org. Audio for this show is recorded and produced by the OAM Network. For more information, please visit pod901.com.